You know, a lot of us are concerned about things in, in our country. But the truth is, we're still a very prosperous nation. When you look at everything, relatively speaking, we're a very, very blessed people. And I think most of us know that. And just to, to illustrate, let me just let me ask you a question. What do you think is the size of the average American home in terms of square footage? Now, I'm not talking about condos. I'm talking about freestanding houses. What do you think is the average size of freestanding houses in America today? How many square feet? The average freestanding house is 2,700. Do you know what it was in 1950? What's your guess? 983. Things have changed. You want to go back to the good old days? No. <laughs> I mean, some of you, some of you can tell stories about six kids in two rooms, right? I mean, uh, things have changed a lot. We're a very prosperous nation. We, we know there's poverty. There's there's challenges not only economically but educationally and and in and, and so many other ways in our country. But but we're really a, a blessed people. And one of the challenges is that with, with such blessing, with such prosperity can come greed. It can happen to us individually, it can happen to us collectively as a nation. And greed ends up hurting innocent people, correct? Recently, uh, the big banks in America can't seem to stay out of the news for shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, Wells Fargo, the CEO, this past week testifying in Congress before the the House, the week before that, before the, the Senate, and was just grilled without mercy because... Uh, uh, they opened upwards of 200, uh, two, 2 million fake credit card accounts in people's names without their permission to meet, you know, quotas or sales goals in the last five years. And they've agreed to pay $185 million in penalties, fired more than 5,000 employees, even though the CEO still has his job. Bank of America, two years ago, agreed to pay $17 billion to settle with the government because of mortgage fraud. And those stories are not new. They've been going on for a few years with one entity right after another. Um, I, I could spend the next 30 minutes just talking about things from the news uh, that de- demonstrate the fact that, that the pressure to succeed, the pressure to, to, to get, a, you know, get a promotion, the, the pressure to make more money, gr- all of that, greed, everything else, all of our blessings, all of our blessings, if we're not careful, can, um, can corrupt us. And at the same time, we understand there's a lot of gener- generous people in this country, right? There's tremendous generosity in the American people. 2012, there was a story that uh, went viral, uh, first on Facebook and then other social media and so on, about a police officer in New York City helping a homeless man. And it was a cold November evening, and he, and he saw this homeless man who was barefoot, no shoes, no socks, and, and he could see blisters on his feet. And the officer said he was wearing two pairs of socks, and he was still cold. He was talking to the man, discovered that he wore size 12 shoes, so he just happened to go into a Skechers shoe store, and uh, the salespeople in there were shocked that he wanted to buy a pair of boots. 
good boots that would last for that homeless man. And so they gave him the employee discount. And he got a pair of boots that cost a little over $100 for about 75 bucks. And he went outside. And he, he didn't know. Listen, the officer did not know anybody was paying attention. And so you see the photograph. He gave the shoes to this homeless man. There happened to be a tourist, a woman from Arizona, watching. The police officer didn't know it. She was watching as a tourist, and she took her phone and took a photograph. And when she got home, she posted it on the New York City Police Department's Facebook page. And from there, it just went viral everywhere. And we could spend the next uh, 30 minutes just telling stories like that, couldn't we? Because there's a lot of generosity in this country. And the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, makes it very clear that, that individually and then collectively as a culture, as a society, how we treat people, especially those who are disadvantaged, those who are poor, those who, those, those, those who struggle, how we treat people matters. Amos makes it clear that generosity versus greed is an issue that God notices and that God blesses those who treat disadvantaged people well and those who are generous and that God judges those who are so materialistic they they, they have a hard time seeing anything but what they want and they're greedy and they take advantage of people because they're in a position or they have the ability to take advantage of someone else if it benefits them. And so Amos makes it clear that, that individually, and then us as a people, as a, as a society, as a nation, those, those issues matter to God. Amos is preaching around 760 B.C. He wasn't a professional prophet. I mean, Hosea preached for upwards of, of 50 years or so, maybe 60 Isaiah preached for decades. Jeremiah for decades. Amos preached for maybe one year. He's a a man that God just took from from the business world, if you will. He was a, a shepherd, and we know that he had traveled a fair amount. And God just just took him from from that career and said, I've got a message I want you to preach for the next little season. And he was preaching during a time of economic prosperity both the northern kingdom of israel and the southern kingdom of judah were experiencing peace their borders as we looked at last week with jonah had been enlarged they they were participating in international trade and the rich got richer but the problem was the poor got poor in chapter 3 verse 15 amos talks about the wealthiest of them having winter homes and summer homes, which historically was a rarity among the Israeli people. He mentions they had homes that were filled with ivory. They had beds. Can you imagine a bedpost made out of ivory, coated with ivory? Meaning they had trade from from Africa. They were doing well. In the book of Amos, he talks about how they were often eating meat. And in the ancient world, meat was a luxury. People seldom ate that. They couldn't go to the buy low or 
whichever grocery store you go to and, and, and say, well, what do we want tonight, pork chops or chicken or what, what do we want tonight, fish? They, they couldn't do that. But in Amos' day, it was more common than they had ever been used to. So it was a time of great economic prosperity, but it was also a time of greed and, and, and of great corruption. If you've got your Bible open to the book of Amos, look at chapter, chapter 4 for just a moment. Chapter 4, verse 1, he, he says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Now, ladies, I, I, that's Amos, not me. He was talking to the women. I'm sorry, okay, but that's who he's talking to. He said, <laughs> who are on the mountain of Samaria. Now, Samaria was a sec- another name for the northern country of Israel. Samaria, the city, was also the capital of the northern, northern nation of Israel. Remember, the Israelis went through civil war after Solomon died, divided into two kingdoms, two nations. The north was Israel or Samaria, and the south was Judah, and its capital was Jerusalem. <clears throat> and... Uh, and, 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 he, and he, well, well, just look at it. It's pretty <clears throat> self-explanatory. He said, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. In other words, they're saying, guys, you get out there and make more money, and it doesn't matter who you have to walk all over to get it. We want more. Do you get the picture? Amos says that was the culture that that was so predominant among the leaders. Religious leaders, political leaders, business leaders, that was, that was their thinking. That was their culture. When Amos was called of God to preach. Now, <clears throat> chapter 1 begins with God calling Amos. He's from Tekoa. He's from the south, okay? He's from a, a little village near Jerusalem. And he goes to the north, and most of his preaching is, is done at Bethel. Got a map here I want to show you. Go to the next slide, guys. There's a, um, Bethel, the, the blue is the northern kingdom of Israel, and just across the line, the border into the north was Bethel. It'd be like going up to Charlotte, just across the state line. And Bethel was, a, was an important place to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom. It was one of their worship centers. They had altars there, not only to Yahweh, the, the Jewish God, but to, to Baal, the pagan gods. And they intermingled those worship, the worship of those two. It was, it was an economic center. So it was, a, it was a populous place. It was very popular. It was a religious shrine. And so Amos goes there and, and he begins preaching. It, it'd almost be similar to somebody going to the Vatican and to preach, to Jerusalem to preach, or to, to one of the shrines of Islam to preach. And so God sends this shepherd from the south, from Tekoa, to Bethel, this big, this religious place, to preach. And at first, they liked his preaching. Because the first one and a half chapters of Amos are devoted to him preaching against or preaching judgment, if you will, judgment on, on some of the nations that surrounded Israel. He preached, for instance, that God was going to judge Syria, up there the kingdom of Aram and Damascus. 
that God was going to judge Phoenicia, uh, Phoenicia over to the left uh, where Tyre and those, those, those coastal cities to the, to the north on the Mediterranean coast. And then south of there, Philistia, the, the cities of the Philistines. And, and they said, yeah, amen, get him. He's going to judge Russia. He's going to judge, he's going to judge those pagan countries. Amen, get him. Then he brings it a little bit closer to home. And he preaches that God's going to judge three nations contiguous to Israel and Judah. But these three nations have a little bit of shared legacy with the Jewish people. For instance, he's going to judge uh, Edom. We talked about Edom you know, a couple of weeks ago, the book of Obadiah. Edom, are, that's the descendants of Esau, blood kin to the Jewish people. He preached that God's going to judge Moab and Ammon, modern Jordan. They are the descendants of Lot. And they're still saying amen, but he's getting a little closer to home. And then he gets really close to home because in the early part of chapter 2, he preaches that God's going to judge Judah. The southern kingdom, they're kinsmen. Yeah, they went through a civil war, but they're, you know, they're, 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 they're our fellow Jews. And God's going to judge Judah. And then he really brings it home. And starting in chapter 2, verse 6, and through the rest of the book, he says, but God's also going to judge you. God's also going to judge Israel. God's going to judge the northern kingdom of Samaria. And and look at chapter 2, verse 6, because this one verse sums up the whole story. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, and that's because you needed to have multiple witnesses, so he's, he's almost presenting it like a court case. I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. He said they were so greedy that that if they had made a loan or some kind of business deal with somebody who didn't have much and he wasn't able to pay it back and all he owed was what it would cost to buy a common pair of sandals, they didn't care. They'd still put him in debtor's prison for something as inexpensive as a pair of sandals. Do you get the picture of how greedy of how materialistic, of how corrupt and how unjust. And so he says, God is going to judge you. Now, their sin was this materialistic attitude, this greed that that caused them to take advantage of people. And, and it was very common. That there were bribes that were paid to court officials. And so if you had connections and you had power and you had resources, you could get what you want done. Because money talked and corruption was prevalent. Now, there's a lot of generosity in America. But there's also some of this other stuff in America too, isn't there? And brothers and sisters, you and I, as the people of God, need to be careful that we're not guilty of some of the stuff that God has told Amos to preach against. Even if it is common... If we see it all the time, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go. Because God sees it. He sees it all. Now, their sin, I want to I help break it down a little bit more because 
I want us to look at, at it in three categories, if you will. One, one of the, part of their sin was, was corrupt business practices, as we saw at the end of verse, verse 6. Look at uh, verse 7. These who pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless and turn aside the way of the humble. Do you know what he's saying? They, they would take anybody's property if they could find a way to do it. They, they, they'd kick the poorest of the poor out on the street if they could get his property. Verse, the rest of verse 7 and verse 8. A man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. When garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. What, what he's saying is, as, as collateral or as a fine imposed by the court, they might take the clothes right off somebody's back. Even though the Old Testament for, forbid forbids any Jew under any circumstances to take a man's clothing even in court cases there's just there's a minimum amount you leave anybody and they were violating that and they were taking those clothes and when it said laying on those garments it's, 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 it's cleaned up language what they're doing is they're going to these places of worship where they're intermingling the worship of god with the worship of baal these pagan gods and you would have what's called sacred prostitutes and part of worship was sexual activity and they would take these clothing because they didn't want to wear a poor man's dirty clothes but they would throw it out on the ground and do you know, you get the picture now how 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 corrupt is that? But we have affairs in the church. Chapter 5, verse 11. He said, therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you live, you won't live in them because now he's getting into, into the judgment that's going to come. But he said they were so unreasonable, just, just so unreasonable to get every dime they could. I mean, people with power can take advantage of those who don't have the power. Is that not true? And just because we can does not mean we should. Those are two different issues. You want to know how materialistic they were? Look at chapter chapter 8. Verses 4 and 5, he said, Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land, saying in verse 5, When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain in the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market? He said, They were so excited about making more money, they just wanted Sunday to get over with, and the religious holidays on which they closed to get over with, so they could get to work and make more money. Even though they were going to the places of worship to worship, they couldn't wait to get out of there and make more money. Kind of reminds me of, you know, um, uh, um, the Shark Tank and Mr. Wonderful. It's all about the money. Show me the cash. (laughs) 
continues in in verse 5 to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger to cheat with dishonest scales. In other words, they weren't honest. They had no integrity. If they could cheat somebody and make more money, they'd do it. Well, you get the picture. But it was also a corrupt religion. Look in Amos chapter 4. We already looked at... uh, at, uh, the sacred prostitutes, but in chapter 4, look at God's opinion of their worship in verse 4. He said, enter Bethel. That's that place where Amos is preaching, that that place of worship, a public shrine, if you will. He said, enter Bethel and transgress. He said, go to church and sin. And Gilgal, another place of worship, go there and multiply your transgression. He said, go to church and sin. Go to church and sin even more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a think offering also from that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Gen- you know, give money, give money, give money. For so you love to do, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord. But, and then he starts talking about the judgment that's coming. Now get this picture. God is saying, you're going to church, but you're sinning because the money you're giving and what you're doing is all built on corruption and, and greed and, and taking advantage of people and hurting people that you don't seem to care anything about. What, what you and I do Monday through Saturday makes a difference in how God views what we do on Sunday. Do you need me to say that again? What you and I do Monday through Saturday makes a difference in how God views what we do on Sunday. In the remainder of chapter 4, God says, I've I've been trying to get your attention. I sent judgment in in, in the form of drought and poor crops, the locust invasion. Remember that the other day? I sent a plague like in the days of Egypt. I judged you by allowing your military to lose some battles and you had some of your young soldiers die. And yet through all of that, you didn't turn back to God. Five times in the verses in chapter 4, five times God says, you would not, you did not return to me. Through everything that happened, no matter what I did to get your attention, you would not, you did not return to me. He said, you're looking so forward to the day of the Lord. Because they they viewed the day of the Lord as that time when God was going to bless them even more, bless Israel. And and he he said, you're looking so forward to that. But in chapter 5, verse verse 21, um, he said, "I, I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer burnt offerings. God said, I'm not going to accept them. You, you get the picture of their, of their worship again? The day of the, day of the Lord, the, the judgment of God is, is all in the verses before that. And God says, you're looking forward to it, but it's going to be a bad day. Look at chapter 6 real quick, verse 6. You drink wine from sacrificial bowls while you anoint with the finest oils, the, the symbols of their wealth again. Yet you have not 
grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Joseph, one of the patriarchs, the, the descendants, the Jewish people. You, you, you're so prosperous, but you're not grieving over the, the spiritual condition of your people. No grief. No brokenness. And, and, and I want to say to me and to you, to us, that our hearts need to grieve more than they need to be angry at what we see in our world. God is the one who will judge. We as his people need to be broken. We need to grieve. And as he said in Chronicles, and, and as I uh, talked about a couple of weeks ago, begging God for mercy on our country and repenting for the sins of those in our country who are like the people Amos is preaching to. Our hearts need to be broken. Grieve. There was also a corrupt legal system, and you can see how those would all go hand in hand, can't you? In chapter 5, verse 10 they hate him who reproves in the gate. The gate was the, the public place of entrance into the city. It was the place where the elders would make judgments. It was kind of their court. You bring your disputes to the elders, elders who would sit in the gate. And so it's like going to the courthouse. And these powerful, greedy, corrupt people hate those who um, are judges, so to speak. They hate anybody. They abhor anyone who speaks with integrity. And, the, and, and he said, and therefore you, you impose heavy rent on the poor and you exact a tribute of grain from them. It's the idea that they, they do whatever they can to corrupt the legal system. Verse 12. I know your transgressions are many. Your sins are great. You who distress the righteous, those who, who are doing good, and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate in the the court in other words if you can buy a judge if you can buy a jury if you can buy the outcome if you're powerful and have influence and therefore the man who's got nothing even if he's right even if he's righteous loses because of your money because of your power because of your connections do things like that ever happen in our country yeah, they do. And so God says, for these sins, I'm going to judge the nation. Now, when I started this sermon series, I said to you that God put this on my heart a couple of years ago, and I wasn't sure why God was leading me to preach through the Mount of Prophets. But then I said, as it got closer to the time I felt led to preach them, I knew, I, I kind of knew why. Because I think these books... These, these books in God's Word speak to our nation today. But brothers and sisters, those of us who love Jesus with all our heart need to hear them and allow God to speak them into our lives as well. So that we're not part of the problem, but instead part of the solution. We need to hear the Word of God. And so God's judgment 
In chapter 2, he says, you're not going to escape it. In verse, verses 14 and following, he said, flight will perish from the swift. He said, you may be fast, but uh, you won't be fast enough. The stalwart will not strengthen his power. You may have big muscles, but uh, you're not strong enough. The mighty man, nor will the mighty man save his life. Verse 15, he who grasps the bowl will not stand his ground. You may be the best shot around, but you're going to miss. The swift of foot will not escape, nor will he who rides the horse save his life. The bravest among the warriors will, will flee, will run away naked in that day, declares the Lord. He said, when I judge, you can't run and hide. You just can't hide from God. Chapter 3, he talks about those... Um, Places of worship in verse 14 and in verse 15, their winter homes and their summer homes and their houses of ivory, their great big houses all being destroyed, just burned to the ground. It'll all be leveled. Everything you have built, God says, I will tear down. Chapter 5, I got a little ahead of myself a while ago, but chapter 5, verse 18 and following is where he talks about the day of the Lord. And he says, you're so looking forward to it. But let me tell you what it's going to be like when you see God on the day of the Lord. He said in verse 18 of chapter 5, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness, not light. Verse 19, when a man flees from a lion and he runs into a bear. He goes home, he leans up against the wall, I'm safe, and there's a snake. So that's the day of the Lord. That's God's judgment. And in chapter 6, verse 7, just one verse, he says, Therefore they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles, and their banquets will cease. In other words, when, when, when Assyria attacks, you're going to lose, and you're going to be the first country that they're going to exile the population, just carry you away as slaves. And that happened. Starting about 20 years after Amos preached this message. So 760 he preached. Starting at about 740 for the next 25 years, the empire of Assyria invaded the northern kingdom of Israel multiple times and gradually conquered more and more of the country till they conquered all of it and carried away most of the population as slaves and resettled them in foreign nations. And they brought pagans, they brought people from other countries and settled them in Israel. And those people intermarried with a few Jews remaining that would become the Samaritans in the days of Jesus. And the northern kingdom of Israel ceased to exist forever within 45 years of Amos' sermon. I said the other day, God's judgment's not always quick. Sometimes it's slow to give us time to repent, but God's judgment is always certain. You can't run. But God says, I have mercy. And sometimes he gives us time so we can repent. And in the book of Amos, if we want to experience the mercy of God, there's some things we need to do. Number one, we need to treat people the right way. Chapter 5, verse 15. 
He said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate in the criminal system. And he goes on to say, to say in that verse, God will be gracious to you. Treat people right. Listen, individually, and then whatever influence you and I have on our culture and on our government and on our institutions and our businesses to see that people are treated right and treated fair and treated generously, it matters in the eyes of God if we want the favor of God to be on this country. Amen. Secondly, we have to seek God. In chapter 5, verse 4, thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me that you may live. Verse 6, seek the Lord that you may live. Seek God. Don't, don't just show up here on Sunday, but brothers and sisters on Monday, seek God. That's why I'm encouraging you to take the prayer guide we passed out last week, Pray 31, a prayer atlas for America, and pray every day in October for this country. I used it yesterday, and I loved it. We ran out last week. We've ordered more. They were supposed to have been here for today. They didn't, but we'll get them to you as soon as they arrive. And thank God for the hundreds that have already been taken. you got your prayer guide. There's a few out there left. Uh, but uh, if you've got your prayer, pray every day using that prayer guide. for this. Seek God. And seek Him in your own life. And the third thing is when God speaks, we have to listen to Him. We have to respond to Him. We have to obey Him. In chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He said God is sending his prophets and his preachers, and, and they're like lions roaring. And you, Are you going to listen? Are you going to hear it? Because perhaps the... The worst judgment, the most painful judgment, the the scariest thing that can happen is in chapter 8, verse 11, when God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather it's a different kind of famine. It's a famine for for hearing the words of the Lord. God, God says if, if, if you insist on continuing on this path, the day will come when I'll quit sending you prophets. I'll stop sending you preachers to tell you the truth. And, and, and you can go on blissfully living and sinning until the day of the Lord comes and then there's nothing you can do about it. And if you find yourself at a place spiritually where you're not listening to God, you don't want the Word of God, you don't want the preacher of God, you don't, you don't want the truth of God to confront your life, Be careful, because if you ever get to the place, your heart is so hardened, you can't hear the voice of God and be moved by the Spirit of God, you're in a very dangerous place. Verse 12, 
So God is speaking. And Jesus time and time again said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen when God speaks. Because you don't want to reach the time in your life when God is silent. In your job, when it comes to how you make money, be ethical, be honest, be holy. Be like Christ. When you make decisions about how you handle your money and spend your money, be generous and don't make it all about what you can obtain for yourself. Don't take advantage of people simply because you're in a position where you can. Hold our government and our institutions accountable for being just and not corrupt. For being honest and not crooked. For caring about people who are struggling and those who are weak. Guard your heart against greed, against materialism, against selfishness, against pride. So the favor of God can be on your life. And on this land. I can't control the world. I can't control the country. But I can control me. Right? Huh? So God says do that. Do that. So that when you come to worship Jesus on Sunday. God smiles. God smiles. Let's stand.